Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. Well, how's everybody doing? We're back from uh, our Patreon exclusive last week. Thank we you are. to everyone who is a Patreon member that got to check out that. What, what case did we do, Michael? Uh, that is a great question. We did Lightning Lee Murray. Ooh, you almost got me. You almost got me. I was not that was expecting pop quiz that. Quiz hotshot. <laughs> I'm only the co-host, man. I don't I don't know all the right. details. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Lightning Lee Murray. It was our first ever video podcast. Our first ever. Yeah, I guess I mean you could say that because we've been doing some just the banter's with video, and we decided yeah. why not? We have the capability of doing it now. Let's let's add a video element to it. So. This episode currently can be seen on YouTube as well. So that's if, right. If you're interested in that, click the link below. If you're an audio listener, that's fine too. I'm, I'm more of a listen to my podcast on the road kind of guy, so I don't really need the video. Yeah, me too. But sometimes too. people talk about something, you're know, like, Ooh, I want to see what they're talking about because we are going to have pictures popping up throughout this and all that. So, right. It'll be a different experience. If you listen at your desktop at work, maybe watch the YouTube version instead. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you guys can check the link to our YouTube page uh, right below the description of this episode. Check out the uh, True Crime Guys link tree for links to everything True Crime Guys. Yeah. But as for this episode, I have a question for y'all. Do you ever feel like someone's watching you? Dude, don't we all always? Yeah, because it does happen. And we're going to actually prove that point by doing a whole series uh, on stalkers. So this is our stalker series. I'm thinking we should do this all three of our freeloader episodes leading up to the next Patreon exclusive, three in a row stalker series. All stalkers. Okay. And, and there's so many of them that this is going to be compilation episodes. There's probably going to be two to three cases per. This one, there's going to be two cases uh, in this episode of stalkers. Um, right. Some of them turn murderous. Some of them just kidnap you and, and do sexual stuff to you. And then, you, you know, you escape as in our right. first case here. But uh, you're going to want to also maybe first listen to our uh, run, hide, escape, fight episode on how to get away from these creeps if they do get their hands on you oh because, yeah uh, i forgot about that episode yeah 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 it's a great precursor to this no doubt yeah. all right well, let's get into it let's, let's do it i'm sure you had fun with the intro here oh yeah let's do it man
For our first case of the compilation in part one of the Stalker series, we have uh, a young man who became obsessed with his teacher. I feel oh. like, yeah, on a small scale, we've, we've been there. You know, we, there's we, been a teacher that you were infatuated with at some point. It yeah. has to be, right? Whether you're male or female, like, there's always some attractive teacher. Absolutely. I think if you went, if you went to school... You know, all through all through twelve years, I think it's highly probable that you had some teacher that you had a crush on. Shout out to Mrs. Lee, my sixth grade science teacher. <laughs> I don't know how you're looking these days. It's been like <laughs> twenty something years, <laughs> right? But back then, um, yeah, Miss. Uh, let's see, mine was in fourth grade. I think my first teacher crush, Miss Wallace. Yes, and she's a principal now. She was actually uh, my oldest daughter's principal. Um, in 2015. Oh, so she's still around, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I always I was, wonder that when I drive by my old schools, like what, how many of the teachers that I had are still there? You know, like well, when, when we're talking elementary school, like they might be dead at that point. That's how old I am now. Like, well, no, no. Well, like first if they off, were old then, when I was in elementary school, they're dead probably. It, well, if they were old then, yeah. But see, <laughs> but see, she. This was her. I. We were her first class. My class was her first real class. Like out of getting her teaching degree and all that. You know, they have to do like uh, what clinic? Not clinicals, but I don't know. Whatever you call it, fucking mm-hmm. on, not uh internships. They have to Internship, do teaching yep. internships, right? I so, knew but, what word you were looking for, but I couldn't find it either. Right, right. It's it's lost in there. So she was r- very young, um, when she was my okay. teacher, and she still looks pretty young now um but she moved schools though like i said she's not still at the old school that she started at she's she's mm. principal of a much better school now oh, so, so. She's she moving on up yeah yeah it seems that way it seems that way right on all right well this uh this case we're calling the 15 year obsession and this is a, a young man named ming sen shu who uh he was born in taiwan and moved to america um he was born actually on october 15th 1950 in Taiwan and shares a birthday with Dominic West, who was John, Jimmy McNulty in The Wire, which is, if you haven't okay. seen that show, it's one of the best, one of the best series I have ever. I have not seen it. Wow. Oh, especially like as being in the crime world, like you would, you would love it. It's, Shame it's all on about me. the criminal underworld in Baltimore, uh, drug dealing and like, uh, oh, okay. The police yeah. trying to infiltrate the drug dealers and all that. It's super good. Okay. Um, and Dominic West was fantastic in it. Um, right and then Emerald, Emerald Lagasse, World famous chef and Larry Stop. Miller. Oh, uh, Emerald Lagasse. Comedian. Okay, yeah, I know Chef Emerald. If you would have said Chef Emerald, I would know who you're talking about. But I didn't. I didn't know his last name. You didn't I, know Lagasse? No, nah, I didn't know. I didn't know his last right. name. I'm not that familiar with chefs, to be honest. You know, I know Guy Fieri. I I know you're. I know you're a chef lover. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird way to put it. <laughs> I'm a fan of chefs. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I didn't know any of this crew. I don't know Larry Miller either. Who is that? If you looked up a picture of him, you'd probably be like, "Oh, okay, that guy. He's he's a comedian that's been he's been in uh, some movies and stuff as an actor, small time roles and stuff like that." But he's okay. He's well, got an interesting take on things. Uh, he's a lot, a lot of times political and stuff too. Oh, I haven't heard okay. from him in a while, but yeah. 
We'll look them up right quick. We'll throw a picture of them up on the screen. There we go. Oh, yeah, so, Larry Miller. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. so now you recognize him. He's, he's mm-hmm. kind of like one of those, oh, that guy faces, you know? Yep. He's one of those actors everyone's seen, but nobody knows who he is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he would love to hear that. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he knows Shout that. Shout out to Larry Miller. <laughs> so as a young boy, Ming Sen Shu developed a crush on his algebra teacher. Um, most crushes, as we know, typically subside. They should, or else you become a stalker eventually. Right, right. Um, Ming's, Ming's uh, obsession divulged in, into a, a deep, long-lasting obsession that, that lasted for over a decade into adulthood before he finally decided to act on it seek her out and abduct her Mm. and we'll go into more detail on this obviously so as we mentioned born in 1950 in taiwan and in uh when he was eight years old his family uh immigrated to minnesota in america when he was like i said eight years old Um, and in minnesota his father became a professor at the university of minnesota but after they moved to minnesota and his father got that job as a professor he died just three years after they moved there what the hell yeah that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy uh, coincidence there. Yeah. And Ming was described as violent towards his younger siblings, often beating them during adolescence and adulthood. His mother had some choice words about her own son to say, yeah. calling him basically like a dog, like he had no emotions. That And see, coming from a mother, that carries a lot of weight. Yeah. This right? sounds like nature, man, like a case of nature where he was just a bad egg from the jump. You don't, you don't think the death of his father had anything to do with it? Very young? I'm sure it didn't help, but like... We've mentioned it didn't affect the other siblings. They didn't become a creepy stalker rapist, you know? Right, right. But he was uh, the oldest, though. Yeah. He was the oldest. Yeah, you're right there. So he kind of, like, lost that, that male direction in his life at eight years old. I'm not blaming it on that. I'm just saying I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Uh, yeah, I was going to say plenty of people do, and they, they don't go on to do anything like what he did. But Absolutely, absolutely. You know, people are complex. They respond to things in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in his teen years, Ming would reportedly engage in criminal activity as a juvenile, such as starting fires. That's never a good sign, right? When you're mm, that's young one. an arsonist. That's one of the McDonald's Setting apartment triad. buildings on fire. Yep. Um, and throwing uh, throwing rocks at vehicles, moving vehicles, that's also a felony. Okay, um, I did that. I mean, that's not so bad. Rocks? Right. I threw stuff at cars, never rocks. No. You know, I hung out with some bad kids. We threw rocks through windows of like buildings and apartments and stuff like that, but never yeah. moving cars. I had this I had this friend that lived near like an overpass and we used to throw rocks at semis. What not, the fuck? Not per- well, they were driving down the highway? Yeah. We were just trying to hit the trailer, not the not Like the little rocks or big rocks cuz you uh, literally you know, could have like, caused like fucking a severe crash with a bunch of dead people. Littleish rocks, I would say. You know, I like I like that. Wow. You know? This reminds me of the, the good kid with uh, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, where he drops the like fake body off of a bridge and like kills someone. I think if I remember that right, something like that happened. Whoa, it's, it's been a long time since that movie was in the '90s, back when Macaulay Culkin was still acting. But and what's it called? The good, the good kid, I think, or the, the good, good kid, the good child, something like that. Okay, I think he's an like he's an adopted child, or the, this kid gets adopted, right? Macaulay Culkin's the the child of this couple, like naturally, and then they adopt another boy about his age, okay. and so they're like, you know. I guess quasi stepbrothers or whatever you'd call that. And Macaulay Culkin's like this evil fuck. He's like an evil kid. And like yeah. he keeps doing stuff and then like blaming the other kid for it and like teaching him all these terrible habits. And I want to say like the spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this movie, it's like fucking 35 years old, but uh, 
I want to say like there's some crazy scenario where the mom has to like she's holding both of them off a cliff or something and she has to choose one and she chooses to keep the the kid she adopted and drop Macaulay Culkin because she knows he's evil. Oh wow. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Dang, you just spoiled it for us, but that's cool. No. What, you're not gonna watch it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm never gonna <laughs> watch, watch it. it. Maybe pull up some scenes. Pull up the bridge scene where he drops a freaking dummy off a bridge. So that's like how it starts, or that onto a moving highway. I think that's like a mid midway through the movie scene. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know if like that's I what puts him about in the he TV shoots then... he shoots somebody's dog with a rifle, maybe too. I don't know. He's an evil bastard. He's basically a future serial killer. So it's probably a good thing his mom dropped him off that cliff. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. God. Yeah, I mean, he was headed down the the Ming Shu path here. Yeah, that's interesting because I think most people are afraid of adopting kids for the opposite reason, right? They're afraid that yeah. these kids are going to be crazy. This whole thing right here made me like, I think it's a good idea, a good concept for like a small, like a a short podcast or show is like, we try to, I hit you with like a a movie that's really old. Maybe you've seen it. And if you have, like you try and recount what happened because I I have no idea whether that whole retelling I just did was actually accurate at all. My memory is pretty flawed on this film. And so people who have seen it recently are probably laughing their ass off. Like, that's not exactly how that went at all. <laughs> so like retell old shit that you haven't seen in forever would be kind of a fun concept. Yes, it would. Yeah, it would. It, okay. Yeah. Whoever's coming to retell it, the other person needs to watch it recently, but yes. not say anything. <laughs> right? Right. That would be, right. yeah. That would and then be at the end, be like, dude, you were wrong about everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, All right. Yeah, we're getting I, too sidetracked here. Let's yeah. stick to, let's stick to case. So, uh, right, right. so Ming, uh, set three apartments on fire. And for his role in the arsons, he was ordered to participate in psychotherapy at the age of 14. Mm-hmm. And that's where this ends. He's all better now. End of case. Oh, you know, that's he great. was re- rehabilitated perfectly. Didn't abduct his teacher and rape her or nothing like that. Dude, that's that's great. That's always good to hear. That's why we got to listen one. to our kids and get them help when they need it. Right? Well, we're not. I don't do it. Let's make this clear. We're not shitting on therapy. Obviously, it's very important. But sometimes no. it doesn't work. That's uh, all we're saying. We're, we're saying this, and this kid is was an a bad example egg. of when it didn't. He's yeah. a bad. He's a bad egg. He's yeah, he might have been an, like enough of a, a psychopath or sociopath that he like told the therapist what he what they wanted to hear, and then was like, "I can't wait to get out of here and go like kick a dog oh. or something." Yeah, yeah, and then set it on fire or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, according to his mother's testimony, uh, Ming often lied about everything. Was persistent about being right. Was uncontrollable as a child and took no responsibility for his physical behavior, thus causing her to be fearful. She described him as someone who has no feelings, like a dog. Oh yes, yeah, that's detrimental. <laughs> dogs right have feelings, first of all. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> this is so like, insulting to dogs. Like they don't my have dog feelings. Would like never they don't know do right from things. wrong. They know when they do wrong. Like they, oh yeah, they give you that look. Like some of them smile when they did wrong. You know. Right, right. Yeah, they know. Mm-hmm. Dogs, dogs know. But uh, Ming my dogs did not. have more feelings than this kid. I'll tell you that. Well, what's terrifying about Ming is the no responsibility for his physical behavior. Like that is terrifying. When someone yeah. and they're always right, so they're always able to justify why, why they're doing these things, and in their mind, it's perfectly reasonable. Perfectly yep. reasonable. Yeah, and that's terrible. It's always scary when someone able, is able to justify horrible behavior, right? Right. It's just the early. Many form of, of the narcissism. serial killers that we've covered have have been that way, where they're like, "Well, I did it because of this, and she deserved it." And it's like, mm. yeah. Oh well, yeah, but she didn't do that. That's not exactly how that went down, which we'll right. find in this case as well. Yeah. So from 1965 to 1966, Ming attended Alexander Ramsey High School in Roseville, Minnesota, where he became uh, where he came to have a crush on his ninth grade algebra teacher, Mary Stouffer. 
Um, he later admitted during uh, proceedings that due to his infatuation, he began sexually fantasizing about his teacher. Uh, I put in the crime line. We've all been there. Um, right. Right. Uh, Ming later wrote stories about his sexual fantasies with fictional characters from the movies and eventually about Stouffer, which he, which included consensual sex, rape, and gang rape. And then I put in the crime line, we've all not been there. No, 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 no. Not necessarily ventured to those areas. No. Right. <clears throat> that's, where, that's where it took a turn. Uh, and he started fantasizing about raping her. That's, that's, a, that's a bit too far there, Ming. Yeah, that's too um, far. Ming attended Alexander Ramsey High School in Roseville. Uh, and while attending, he developed this crush on his teacher. As I said, the crush developed into an obsession, and this obsession followed him throughout adulthood. He just never let it go. He never moved on. He never got a girlfriend that's of his weird, own, I guess. Right? Just, yeah. It, I think he saw that in his little narcissistic mind as a failure. Right? He's like, I didn't act on that. I didn't get her. And of course she wants me. Right? I mean... Do you think he thought that? I, I think so. Yeah. Because, spoiler alert, like 15 years later when he stalks her down and finds her, she didn't know who the fuck he was, <laughs> obviously. No, I know. But <laughs> in his mind is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, in his mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He interpreted all of her... You know, she was probably just being a nice, considerate teacher, yeah. trying to, you know, give him the extra attention he needed or whatever. And he just took it all the wrong way. That happens yeah. a lot. Well, we've seen that uh, with, with some of these people. They they say when they kill the person that they wanted to be the most important person in their life because they never gave them the time of day. Maybe he knew that she didn't remember him and that bothered him. He wanted to be – a lot of times when they you know you stalk a person and you end up killing them later and they don't even know you exist a lot of times. Like uh, what was the Rebecca Rebecca Schaefer episode? Yeah, Rebecca Schaefer. Remember? Absolutely. Yes. Remember that dude? Was That that was the very same thing. He knew that she, she knew he didn't exist. That – that bothered the shit out of him. He was so narcissistic that by killing her, you know, his whole goal was like, I was the most important person in her life. I was the guy that ended it, you know, type of thing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I think Ming might've had that, that type of mentality here for sure. But he also might've, he felt scorned. His, it could go either way. It could go the way you said it, where he, you know, he thought she, she wanted him or whatever. And he never acted on it. Who knows what was going on in his head, but right. Um, However, in 1975, after some mediocre stalker research, Ming located where, what he thought was Mary's home in Duluth, Minnesota. He broke into the house with a firearm, intending to kidnap Mary Stouffer, who did not live in the residence at the time. However, her in-laws owned the house, owned the house and were there. Um, he forced them to the ground, tied them up, and threatened to, be, threatened to kill them if they reported the crime. And unfortunately, they did not report the crime because of his threats. And, uh, mm. you know, this may have may have helped uh, prevent what happened later had they reported it. And I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. He probably wouldn't have done much time for this. Probably would have gotten out and still had an obsession with Mary and yeah. went after her. I don't but know. also, I mean, nothing came of it until five years later. So it's like her parents were yeah. probably like, okay, that was just a one-off thing. Somebody was confused. Okay. Yeah. But they had to have known that he was asking for their daughter, though. I was going to say, you know, you know he asked, where's Mary? You know, yeah. he had to have. And maybe they, sh I don't know, maybe they did behind the scenes warn her, like, hey, some creep is looking for you. They t he tied us up and all that. I don't know. I would hope so. <clears throat> I would hope so. Yeah. Well, it was going to be hard for him to find her in Minnesota because she was actually in Philippines in the Philippines at the time. Um, oh, yeah, as, that's right. As Ming, as Ming continued to search for Mary, she was living in the, with, uh, with family in the Philippines where she and her husband worked as Christian missionaries. So mm. very far away in a different yes. country. Yes. Um, however, they returned in, uh, to Minnesota in 1979. 
And a year later, Ming was still stalking, still looking for Mary, and he learned uh, that she was living at Bethel University campus, and that's this is where he began to stalk her. And this just made me think while I was writing this crime line that stalking must have been a lot harder pre-internet. Right. You, know? <laughs> you mean, had to really God, do some foot-on-the-ground work here like a detective. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. That's a lot of, you know, sitting outside of residences, you know, waiting long hours, right. following people, calling to see who's there, who isn't. Um, right. I, I don't know. I, I've never put that much thought into old school stalking, but uh, it sounds yeah. like a lot of work. Sounds like a shit yeah. ton of work. Yeah. So on May 16th, 1980, Ming finally manages to track Mary down. And uh, this, this is where, you know, it gets bad. He abducts her and all that stuff. She had been in a beauty salon in St. Paul with her eight-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. And that's another terrible part about this story is that her daughter is also involved. When he abducts her, she's with her, he takes her too. At the time, Mary's family had been scheduled to leave for the Philippines on a four-day Baptist missionary, a four-year Baptist So she was going to be gone again for the next four years. And unfortunately, he, he found her and got a hold of her before she would leave for her trip. Man. She and her daughter were actually treating themselves to a haircut before the big trip. That's how soon they were leaving. Now, do you think do you think four years would be enough for this to subside in him? This feeling, no, he was always going to continue to look for her. Right? But it was just going to be delayed. I think yeah. he would just been there waiting for her four years later. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look at how long it's already been. I mean, we're talking 15 years already. Yeah. And he still hasn't let this go. And then he attacks her parents, and then five years later, he's still looking for her. Yeah, yeah. This dude wasn't going to give up. Yeah. So on May, 6, May 16th, 1980, upon leaving the beauty salon with her daughter, um, Mary was approached by Ming. Uh, he was armed with a gun. Fifteen years had passed, and at first Mary didn't recognize Ming, surprisingly. Of course. Um, initially, she thought that he just wanted to steal her car, so she handed over her car keys. Ming, however, had other plans. He forced Mary and her eight-year-old daughter Elizabeth into the car and ordered Mary to drive north. Mary drove to a remote wooded area in Anoka County where Ming tied her up alongside Elizabeth and stuffed them in the trunk of his car. Ming then drove a short distance to an underdeveloped area near Roseville to check on Mary and Elizabeth. This takes a twist as well that you don't see coming in this case. As he uh, goes to this remote area and opens the trunk to check on them, two little boys approach the car. This reminds me of a scene in Breaking Bad. Remember the kid on the dirt bike that witnessed witnessed what they were doing and they they ended up Spoiler again, shooting him. Yeah, out in the desert. Yeah, fucking he had Todd. the tarantula. Yeah, fucking Todd. I hate that. Yeah, character. fucking Todd, dude. Fucking Fuck Todd. Todd. God, he was so creepy. He would have been a stalker creep too, wouldn't he? Hell yeah, he could play a great stalker. He probably Ooh. already has, dude. He always plays creepy roles in movies. That guy. He does. He plays a great sociopath. Yeah. So yeah, he he pulls this remote area. He got the trunk open to check on the on the the, the you know girl and the woman that he abducted, and two little boys approached the car. One of the boys stayed at the front of the car, while the second boy, six-year-old Jason Wilkman, came to the trunk to see what was going on. So God, this kid's being nosy. Six. six years old, of course he's curious. Um, at which point, Ming grabbed Jason and shoved him into the trunk alongside Mary and Elizabeth. So now he has a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, and this woman that he's been stalking for over 15 years in the trunk of his car. God. If you're willing to go this far... This thing has gotten out of hand. Now two children you didn't plan to have a part of it are involved. Mm-hmm. And you've got a living witness, the other child, as well, which, not too smart to leave him running around. Right, exactly. He then drove to the Carlos Avery Wildlife Management Area, and upon his arrival, Ming pulled over where he grabbed six-year-old Jason out of the trunk and beat him to death with a metal rod from the wooded area nearby. 
that's just insane. Just it's Pure just fucking evil. Just like that. Just like that. Just pull them out. Get yeah. rid of the trash. Beat them in the woods. <sighs> Bro, that's yeah. No feeling. No feeling. Right. His what mama got it man. right. How how just random this kid goes to see what's going on at this car, and then this is what happens. And he yeah, and he ends up dead. He yeah. crosses path with some fucking sociopath. Mm-hmm. So from here, Ming then drove Mary and Elizabeth to his apartment in Roseville, where Mary and Elizabeth were uh, shackled and chained together in a tiny back bedroom closet. By this point, Mary and Elizabeth's family were frantic. Mary's husband, Irv, had called the beauty salon and discovered that they had left there safe and well. However, they never made it home. Irv called around local hospitals thinking that they may have been involved in an accident before he would call and report them missing to the police. By the following day, police had already linked the disappearance of six-year-old Jason with, with the disappearance of Mary and Elizabeth, though. By this point, young Jason's body had not been discovered, but that at the scene where he was abducted, I'm sure the other child took the police to that scene, you know, where mm-hmm. it went down. Exactly. They found, at that scene, they found Mary's license plate was, dis, uh, was torn off and been hidden in some heavy brush during the quick getaway. So now he's tying himself to the little boy's disappearance and, you know, they, what they would discover to be a murder. Right. And this abduction. So um, they also didn't. I mean, of course, they didn't know who the perpetrator was yet because it was Mary's car. So they just know she was she was taken with her car. They don't know who did it. Exactly. Um, while police were attempting to find Jason, Mary, and Elizabeth, Ming had revealed his identity to Mary. Remember me? I was the quiet, creepy kid in your algebra class 15 years ago. Is what I imagine. You know, she's thinking. <laughs> right. Oh my God. So what did, did, what did he actually say? Something along the lines of that, though? Remember me? Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but he maybe ex- she, she, she's, you know, spoiler, still, still around, so she could probably relay what he said. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm sure her heart sank, though, when he identified himself and he's showing his face. As a victim, right. you got to be like, well, I'm fucking dead unless I get right. out of here. I hope she was just like, no, still not remembering you. No, no. Like, no, just no, to no, fuck no. with him, you know? And that'd be great. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nope, you mean nothing to me, motherfucker. Right, exactly. <clears throat> um, so over the course of the next two months, Ming repeatedly raped Mary, telling her that he wanted her to feel dirty, debased, and degraded. I know that thing we talked about, wanting to be the most important per- person in her life. He wanted to, if she did survive this, to like ruin her, you know, make her just never be able to forget this stuff, I guess. Apparently. He also recorded the, He also recorded the conversations and rapes on his video camera. That's always smart to leave, you know undeniable evidence laying around dude he didn't give a fuck he had one yeah. goal in life and it was to take yeah. her hostage and i agree her. i feel like he was living for this right he was living this he is it. nothing else going on didn't care didn't yeah. didn't have anything planned any further than this nope crazy and and he's also a, a, a liar too uh when ming told mary that he was at her student 15 years prior he indicated that she had given him a b plus grade in algebra which prevented him from going to college which of course was a lie he also said as a result of this, him not being able to go to college because of that B plus, he was drafted into the Vietnam War and became a prisoner of war. Oh my god. That's a bit also of a stretch. A <laughs> like he's just trying to justify this like, evil behavior that he's just being, uh, you know, a sexual creep rapist and he's trying to justify like I'm only doing this because you screwed me over and made me go to war. Oh, of course. A typical narcissist. Man, you gotta yeah. blame everybody else. It's never his fault, you know. Come on yeah. now. So while he kept them at his house, the victims were often separated. He placed Elizabeth in a box in his van for eight hours when he went to school, when he went to uh, when he was at work, while her mother was locked in the closet at the residence. 
God. That just makes it all the worse. You know, he's taking your eight-year-old daughter, and you don't know what, where she is, whether she's still alive. She's gone for long periods of time while you're yeah. locked in this closet. And is he driving this van to work with her in the back? Yeah, 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 in some sort of a trunk in the back. Holy shit. I can't Fucking believe she, horrible. Right? I can't believe no one heard her. Like, right. Or maybe she had given up by this point. I mean, yeah. who knows? He might have threatened her, said, I'll kill you if you, if you make any noise. I'm sure yeah. he did. Or kill your mother or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, he told Mary that he would kill her husband and son if they ever tried to escape. As time progressed, though, this we've seen this common thread. When someone holds people captive, they get over time, they get more comfortable and they start to relax their... Yeah, you know they're they're captive they're they're captive you know, uh, victims. I think it's because deep down they want their victim to want to be yes, there, don't they? they yeah, and yeah. they and they are they love themselves so much. They're hoping that, they're that they like, get that Stockholm syndrome and that they just adjust to the new life and it is what it is. And sometimes that does happen, unfortunately. Yeah, they're like, I hope that you get to know me through this process and you just want to stay here and be my sex slave forever. Please, right. <laughs> it's crazy theology, but in his mind, that's that was the goal. That was life goals right there. I think for him. Yeah. So when maneuvering around the apartment, Mary and Elizabeth were ordered to remain bound together. Um, however, he started to relax his rules a bit. They were uh, eventually allowed to eat upstairs in the kitchen and were allowed to shower. "Quote: He was weirdly affectionate in a sick parental way." Mm. Elizabeth would later say. I could see that. Um, uh, at the time, Ming ran an electronic store and eventually had to go back to work. Um, and on the 7th of July, after Ming left for work, Mary managed to remove the hinge pin from the locked closet door. Despite being chained to, e chained to each other, Mary and Elizabeth were able to reach the phone in the kitchen and call law enforcement. Thank God. I love, I love me, these endings. Yeah, it reminded me of several of the cases we've covered in the past. The, just recently, the Bone Breaker case, the kid yes. that you know threw himself down the stairs and got Proof. to the phone. Had two also, broken legs. Yeah. Also, the guy that got Bob Berdella cut or caught. Mm. Remember, he jumped out the window and was running down the street naked, and oh, a, a yeah. meter and the, a meter reader found him. And yeah, he was wearing like a dog collar mm -hmm. and like chains. That yeah. is insane. Yeah. Crazy visuals there on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so when the officer arrived, Mary was asked if six-year-old Jason was with them. And while Mary had known that Jason was had been removed from the trunk before they even got to the home, she hadn't realized that he had been murdered. Quote, that's when I knew Jason was never, never made it home and was most likely dead, she said. Mm. So Ming um, uh, was, you know, now they knew who had done this and abducted the, the, the woman and child and, and killed the other child. He was swiftly apprehended in order to stand trial. He still was not giving up on this, though. Like, while awaiting trial, he tried yeah. several times to have Mary and Elizabeth killed so that they couldn't testify against him. And during the ensuing trial... This is the first time we've had something like this in this one of our crazy. cases. Yeah. During the ensuing trial, Ming somehow had been able to smuggle in a pocket knife into the courtroom. And as Mary was on the witness stand testifying against him, he charged at her, jumped over the table and attacked her, inflicting a wound that would need 62 stitches to repair. Dude, what is your plan? What is your end game here? I think he was trying to cut her throat and kill her. I, I really do. God, but like, then you're definitely going to prison. It's like, it's so easy to con to convict you. He was going anyway. I when mean, they... shit, the, the evidence was overwhelming. I can't even imagine if they got the video too, all the videos he'd been recording. Like, he was yeah. toast. Yeah, that's and he true. he knew it. And they already had him for killing the little boy, for killing Jason as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he was fucked, but just the nerve of him to try to do this. <laughs> right. Right? That's insane. 
Yeah, the true that, sicko, man. It, I think that was a little bit of, well, if I can't have you, nobody can have you. And if I'm going yeah. to prison for life, then no one's going to have you. And that's mm-hmm. what he tried to do. So following the outburst, Ming was bound to his chair during court proceedings. Probably should have been already. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, for real. Uh, he was ultimately found guilty and sentenced to 40 years for the murder and another 30 years for the kidnapping. He had reached a plea agreement wherein he directed investigators to Jason's body and returned for first-degree murder being taken off the table. This meant that he could actually be eligible for parole in as little as 30 years, and which has now come and gone. In 2010, Ming was back in court with parole consideration coming up that summer. Mm-hmm. When he entered the court, he was using a walker and had shackles attached to his feet. Uh, that old routine. You know, the right. old, uh, uh, what was his name? The, 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 uh, Robert Durst. Golden State Killer. Remember the Golden oh. State Killer, how he yeah. like tried to act all frail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Robert Durst. Or Robert Durst was actually frail, I think. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> through some of those last <laughs> proceedings, he was actually... I don't think really that frail. was much of an act at that point. Right, right. Um, pretty weird coincidence there that uh, you know we kind of like called his death. We jinxed the jinx, people say. Right? Like, we put out that episode, and right at the end, I was like, I don't think he's going to last very long. And then like two days later, he was dead. True crime guys jinx. We jinxed the jinx. Yeah. Good riddance. Um, Elizabeth spoke publicly during the hearing about how the incident still haunted her. She was now married, a married mother and said that Ming had threatened her to, threatened to hunt her and her own children down if he was ever caught, imprisoned, and then released. She said, quote, I'm a mother today. Everything he ever t- told us during the kidnapping, he did. I don't know if I'd let my children go out to a park, to a mall, if he were released. I think she's 100% right on that. I don't 100%. think he'd ever let this go. Nope. He'd go right back to trying to kill her again, I guarantee you. Um, Ming apologized for his crimes and said that he had been rehabilitated. Quote, the remorse and sorrow remains heavy on me. I regret acting in that matter. I chose to do wrong. I had no concern for anybody. Ultimately, the judge didn't buy his act and ruled that Ming was sexually dangerous and with a sexual, sexu- uh, sexual psychopathic personality. She decided that if Ming were ever paroled, he would be committed to the state's sex offender program. The decision was a welcome relief to Mary and Elizabeth. Quote, I don't want to say that we're afraid. I don't want... I don't know what we could have uh, what could have happened in 30 years, but the same token, my family knows that the threat is real. Yep. And as of 22, 2022, the year we're in currently, the parole commission has repeatedly denied Ming's release uh, request for release, and he remains incarcerated at FMC Rochester in Rochester, Minnesota. So, good. I hope still he stays locked there. up where he belongs. Yeah, he belongs to stay behind bars for life, man. I mean, he was showing signs from a young from a young age. Um, he his had, patience oh man uh, over the course of that time just makes me think that maybe over the course of this 30 years that he's been locked up or however long it's been that he may have just been sitting there thinking about the moment he like michael myers almost like the moment yeah. he gets out he's just going to go back to it no doubt he's just waiting Wouldn't put it past him no because like i said before and i've reiterated in this that it was life goals for him like so yeah. if he's 60 years old and still able to hunt this woman down especially now right i mean now with the internet you can find her so fast if she hasn't right. changed her name or anything um so yeah he's, he's got to stay behind bars man this guy's obsessive obsessive yeah. all right we still got one more case for y'all we're calling this one quote she'll pay for what she's done and for this one we're going across the pond to jolly old england for oh. this terrible tale of stalking and murder with an abundance of inexcusable police negligence this one will frustrate the shit out of you oh, when a person God. is repeatedly reporting to the police that they, you know, have a dangerous stalker ex-boyfriend that is yep. dangerous and he's breaking into my home and doing all these sorts of things. And they kind of just brush it off time and time again yeah. and actually fine you for wasting their time. Well, the police tend to take it a little less serious when you say it's an ex, 
right? When you say, yeah. And when they see that you're still talking to the person as well, which I mean, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. Like Mm -hmm. she, maybe he was threatening to kill himself. He was threatening to do horrible things if she didn't talk to him. And that felt like her only option I think was to keep talking to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, but like I'm saying, that's why I'm saying, I think that's why the cops didn't take it so serious is because they thought, well, you were in a relationship with this guy. Um, right. you know, you've kind of made your bed and then also you're continuing to talk to him. You're continuing to string him along. So what are we supposed to do? But things yeah, got well, sadly that sadly, sadly that outlook would, would cost them and it would cost Shana, Shana even more. Agreed. So Shauna Grice was born in 1997. She was the only child to her parents, Sharon and Richard, and she grew up in Portslade, England. I'm not sure if I said that right. Portslade, England. Yeah. I sound more Australian every time I try to do England. I just can't break the Australian thing. Maybe it's somewhere in my past. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Shauna was kind, bubbly, and made friends everywhere she went. In 2015, she began working as a receptionist for Brighton Fire Alarms. She was trying to save money for an upcoming wedding with her boyfriend of three and a half years, a guy named Ashley Cook, who went by Ash. Okay. So she was in a serious relationship. I, mm-hmm. I guess you could say engaged. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if they were planning. They just kind of mutually said, let's get married, and there wasn't really a proper in- engagement thing. Who knows? They were young. Right, right. I understand. Um, but so they're working when she, it. Yeah. So when she begins working at Brighton, um, she meets and becomes friends with her new coworker, Michael Lane, who was eight years her senior. He was 26 at the time, um, her 18, and they formed what would end up being a sexual relationship, a secret, you know, um, basically liaison type of thing. Um, he was, uh, but when she tried to end the affair after a few months, you know, she was still within a serious relationship and looking to get married and probably realized what she was doing was messed up and, you know, tried to end it. Lane was not a fan of the idea. Shocker. And this is where... You know, we get to the stalking part of right. this case. Right. Uh, Michael Lane began to stalk Shauna Grice uh, after she woke up, uh, after she broke up with him and returned to a previous boyfriend. He had become obsessed with her. Um, I think this happens a lot with uh, guys that are a fair bit older than younger girls. You know, I think. What do you mean? A, a young, attractive girl gives this this uh, guy who's you know six, seven, eight years older than her uh, attention. And like, maybe he hasn't gotten attention from young, attractive girls before. Maybe he was kind of dorky. I'm not saying this is the case. I'm just saying, I think this happens a lot where like guys that didn't get a lot of girl attention, they hit their mid twenties, maybe they mature, whatever it is. And then some young girl likes them because they're older and they're more mature, whatever. Right. And they're not used to getting all this attention from a young, attractive girl. This is what they wanted growing up. They didn't get it. Now, like when this said girl breaks up with them, they can't get past it. And I think a lot of stalkers start this way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, this guy liked them young, which we'll find out. Yeah, that's true. He was basically a pedophile. So that, that there's that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he had quite a history, which the police should have fucking thought about and looked into. Right. And they kept blowing off Shauna. What the fuck? Well, that part is even probably the most enraging part is when you find out his, his background history. at the end of this. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's unreal. Um, so, yeah, he'd become obsessed with her. And after she broke up with him, he still ordered her flowers on her birthday um, when her tires were slashed, uh, guess who showed up to conveniently, uh, you know, just happened to drive by and end up helping her swap out her tires. Wow. Was it Lane? Yeah. Maybe the guy who slashed her tires in the first place. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. He bends um, down to help her and a knife falls out of his pocket. Oh, <laughs> seriously. 
Um, he would uh, he would also key her boyfriend Ash's car and left a note saying, "Quote, dear Ash, Shanna Shanna is and always will continue to cheat on you. Happy New Year." Wow, wow, just trying to start shit. Yeah, that's he then put about. a track. He's probably hoping that the the boyfriend would break up with her and then mm-hmm. she would come crawling back to him or something. Of course, yeah, pretty petty attempt there. Um, he also put a tracker device on her car. Uh, which notified via his mobile phone every time the car moved. And this would lead him to be just basically following her around town. Yes, um, this is... Constantly. Yeah, and this kind of uh, goes in in hand in hand with what we were talking about in the last episode, how difficult it was to be a stalker back then. I was thinking that. This is modern stalking here. When you're (laughs) able to use technology to your benefit. That's what I'm saying. Like, with this type of technology, and this shit's been out for a while. Yeah. So... Yeah, he, he has no problem stalking her in 2016, that's for sure. So on February 8th, 2016, uh, Shauna complained to the police for the first time about being stalked by Lane. Police tracked down Lane and warned him to leave Shauna alone. Then on March 24th, so a couple weeks later, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Lane snatched her phone and grabbed her hair. So he showed up at her house, she ran down the street, at which point he pulled her hair, snatched her phone out of her hand. Um, he would be arrested on suspicion of assault, but later released and Grice would be issued with a uh, fixed penalty notice by the police for wasting their time. So he was, she was fined 90 pounds and he was released from police, uh, from police custody. This is after he told the police that, um, to look through her phone and, and his phone and see the conversation that they're still conversating that she's leading him on or whatever he said, you know, mm-hmm. and when they look into it and see that she's still been communicating with him, then they, they get frustrated with her and say, you need to stop wasting our time and fine her 90 pounds and release him from jail. Yeah. That's some bullshit. Forget, right. I mean, forget that he just assaulted her, you know, and then he keeps showing up at her house. He showed up in her house in the middle of the night. That's why this whole thing happened. Like right. it's regardless would, of whether she's talking to him, like I would have loved to have seen those text messages though, just to see, right. to see what they're about because most likely they're probably her just being nice just being friendly so he doesn't show up at her house. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't answer anything and mm. he keeps calling and texting, you can bet the next place you know he's going to be at his house. And you know his texts are, you know, they're probably threatening. Like, I'm going to kill myself if you don't talk to me, something along right. those lines. Or I'm going I'm yeah. to hurt you, whatever. I'm going to hurt your boyfriend, whatever it is. Exactly. Well, I would I would hope it would he wouldn't be that stupid to write that stuff and then show it to the police. But you never know. Well, he, he could just delete those messages, you know. Yeah, yeah, Make himself true. look good. He did steal. Her I mean, he phone got a hold well. of her phone. Maybe he, maybe when he got a hold of her phone, that's why he, maybe that's why he got her phone to get rid of some incriminating shit that he had said to her. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe. So, uh, following this incident, Shauna would leave her job at Brighton Fire Alarms, and soon Lane would be forced to res- uh, resign from the job as well, as they knew he was a creep and what was going on. Um, nonetheless, she continued to talk to him. Uh, Lane regularly threatened suicide if she didn't talk to him. I think that's important to note. That's right. probably why she did that and also he knew where she lived and he was willing to go to any length to get her to talk to him so it was almost easier to talk to him through a text than have him show up in your fucking bedroom in the middle of the night like he did on regular that's what i was saying earlier i mean she has mode she has motive and reason to be replying to this man because if you're not replying because the police aren't helping her so right what is she supposed to do at least if you this is where uh, this is where as a father if i know if i hear my daughter says this is going on i'm I'm going to jail because I'm just going to break this dude's knees and <laughs> threaten his life. That's what's happening. I'm just telling you guys now. <laughs> Especially if he shows up at your house. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, you show up at my fucking house. Yeah, right? I'm shooting you. Yeah. Uh, if you're in my daughter's bedroom in the middle of the night, yeah, you're dead. That's yeah, you're what's dead. happening. Right. Yeah. So now that's happening. Like uh, Jack Black said in, in, uh, 
in uh, oh, Anchorman yeah. when he kicked Baxter off the bridge. He took everything so now I this love. is happening. Now this is happening. <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> it's a stuffed animal Baxter! just floating off the bridge. It's so stupid. <laughs> I'm in a glass case of emotion. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, so on July 9th, uh, Michael Lane used a stolen key to let himself into her home and watch Shauna while she slept. Um, she was actually, well, he thought she was asleep. She was actually awake and she had heard his footsteps and hid under her, du- her duvet. She heard a man breathing in her room. Shortly afterwards, she, lo- uh, she looked out the window and saw that it was clearly, uh, Michael Lane walking away. Mm. Fucking That's scary. Wow. That's terrifying. Um, he had obtained a key, stolen a key at some point. I think she, like she, when she officially broke up with him, yeah. she told him to come get his stuff. He had some shit at her house. And while he was there getting his stuff, he was able to snatch a key. So he had a key to her house. Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, she didn't change the locks, you know. Right. Or, right. Put, in a, or put in like a Simply Safe or something like that. Yeah, exactly. A ring doorbell. Yeah. So he would end up being arrested for theft and given a police caution and told to stay away from Grass. Like this, at this point, this is not enough. Like, you've already warned him to stay away from her. He's clearly not staying away from her. Where's the, you know, uh, what do you call that? Yeah, where's the where's the motivation for him restraining to stop? order? Where's the restraining, restraining order? order? Yeah, seriously. There we go. Yeah. So I mean, so they didn't they arrested him, but they didn't even keep him this time. They were just like they just arrested him and was like, hey, you you leave her alone now. And then yeah. he was good. He was gone. Bad boy, stop it, stop it. Oh, okay, that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. The following day, she received around seven phone calls from a block number, including one with a with heavy breathing. Um. On July 12th, she reported to police that she was being followed by Lane. Uh, I believe this was either her fourth or fifth attempt to, you know, report right. him to the police. Police treated, treated the case as low risk, but the investigating officer would be made aware. On August 4th, she saw Lane loitering outside of her home. She confided in her friend Joanne Pumphrey uh, that she was afraid that the police wouldn't believe her because of her previous fine for wasting police time. So now he's outside of her home, and she's too... She's, too afraid to even report him to police again because the police basically getting frustrated with her every time she reports him. Right. And she might get fined again. You know, it's like, yeah. And he's yeah. probably staying just outside the realm of criminal now. You know what I'm saying? He's probably like across the street for now Boy. until he decides he's going to strike. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But he's, but for until then, I feel like he's he's staying, he's keeping just enough distance to where she really has no case, especially do, not with how much she's been aggravating the police. You can't help but wish that she had reported this one on August fourth because she had at least had a friend there, Joanne, yeah, who was a, a actual living witness to you know the fact that he was at her house yet again, threatening yeah. her. She could even have and Joanne call. Yeah, like I maybe feel like that my friend's life is in danger. Made the difference, yeah. But she's only 18. as it was. As it was, she didn't report it, um, and in total, Shauna had already called the police five times in six months to report the stalking and, and you know different assaults that Michael Lane had done to her, um, and it all led up to him taking it to the next level. On August 25th, um, Lane waited until Shauna was home uh, alone. He let himself in with the key that he had stolen where he, while she was asleep, slit her throat and set fire to her bedroom, and it goes from... God... You know, threats that, and things like that to just full on, he just takes her life. You can only imagine, like, that the first time he broke into her house, standing over in that corner, he was probably trying to get the nerve up and just couldn't do it. Yeah, maybe. He, just, he probably wanted to kill her that night and just couldn't do it yeah. and then comes back and actually does kill her in her sleep. Or maybe he knew she was awake. 
Yeah. And she oh, didn't when, know yeah, when, that he when she had the duvet over. I mean, who sleeps with a duvet over their whole like their head and everything? Right, right. Maybe some people, but it's pretty, pretty odd. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, so he slits her throat and he sets two fires: one on her bed and one on the carpet. The fires didn't take off by the time that uh, police, you know, police and different people responded. It'll actually be her boyfriend's uh, father, Ian Cook, who was the one to find her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the home would be filled with smoke, but not set ablaze yet. Michael Lane would be arrested the same day at his workplace in Burgess Hill. Security cameras were unbelievably damning. I mean, oh, it basically yeah. told the whole story. He was caught on camera everywhere. Idiot. Leading up to and after Thank the crime. Security cameras showed him filling cans of gas the day before, walking towards her home on the night of the murder, and using her bank card to withdraw 60 pounds from her account the day after the murder. What a dumb fuck. Seriously. Wow. Um, and his lies were just ridiculous, you know, trying to explain this, the, the camera footage that, you know, basically showed him all but committing the crime. Oh, he initially yeah. lied to the police about his movements on the day before admitting that he had gone to her home. He claimed that he had found the door open and then found Shauna's body in her bedroom. And of course, he's like, well, I knew that you guys would blame it on me if I found her body. Yeah. After all that I've done. Because I've been stalking her and harassing her and stuff. Yeah. So he claimed that he panicked, then left the scene without dialing 999, uh, checking Shauna's vital signs or telling the family what he had found. He claimed that he only kept quiet about what he had seen because he was afraid of being accused of the murder. As for the you know, security camera footage, he said that the gas was to set himself on fire after finding her dead. Or no, this was he got that the day before, so that's even harder to explain. He'd gotten the gas the day before he killed her, so he was saying that you know he was going to set himself on fire because he was so upset about the breakup that he was suicidal. That's how people typically kill themselves, you know, they set themselves on fire. Oh, okay, so he was suicidal about the, the most breakup, painful not finding her. way you could possibly ima- imagine to kill yourself is how he's saying that he was choosing to do it. Jeez, that's like some Japanese monk shit right there, bro. You yeah, can't man, just do that's... that if you don't you don't prepare for that. You can't light yourself on yeah. fire. You only set yourself on fire if you're trying to really prove a point. About exactly. Something. Exactly. It's like a protest or some shit. Yeah. Um, he said he used her gift card to pay himself, or he used her, uh, her, her bank card to pay himself back for the gifts that he had bought her prior to her death. So he finds her dead. You know, what most people Let do me help is myself. call me crazy, call the police and say, hey, my ex-girlfriend's been murdered. I don't know why I'm in her house, but I, you know, I found her. <laughs> but I found her, right. What he chooses to do rather than report any of that, he just takes her bank card and pays himself back for what he had gotten her during. What a great guy. Right. What better time than now, though? You know, yeah. there's no sense in right. both of us suffering. You know, I need that right. 60 bucks. Yeah. So the trial would last two weeks in Lowe's Crown Court. Surprisingly, you know, it even lasted that long. After right. being found guilty, Lane was sentenced to life with a minimum of minimum term of 25 years. Shanna Grice's parents, uh, Sharon and Richard said that their daughter would still be alive if Sussex police had acted on their complaints. The judge, Justice Green, also criticized the police. During sentencing, he said there was seemingly no appreciation on the part of the investigation that a young woman in a sexual relationship with a man could could at one and the same time be vulnerable and at risk of serious harm. Sussex police also revealed that Michael Lane had been the subject of complaints from 13 other women what? and girls prior to this. 13! Yeah, so yet we're no consideration for his background and all the crimes that he had already committed and all the creepy behavior he'd uh, displayed over the years um, when, you know, Shanna's reporting these crimes. Ridiculous. Most of the complaints related to the three years before Shauna Grice's murder, except for one where allegedly occurred in the preceding 10 years. A domestic homicide review report concluded that Michael Lane had harassed 12 girls and young women between 2006 and 2016. And he had been arrested over claims that he had groomed a 14-year-old girl. 
He was not charged over the 2010 grooming allegation, which was marked on his arrest record, but it was noted that when Shauna Grice reported him for, for harassment. The mm. allegation dates to when he was a volunteer scout leader. Oh, boy. Mm. After his arrest, he resigned from the scouts. He was told the allegation would be considered if he tried to rejoin the organization, but when he did so in 2015, he was not recognized as a past member, and he volunteered for several months. Wow. The failure to recognize him was put down as a temporary glitch in the IT system. You, you know, can't have glitches dude. when you're dealing with people that are predators dealing with children. you got to make sure that anybody that volunteers to be a Cub Scout leader or whatever, Girl Scout leader, whatever it is, yeah. Is not a fucking pedophile or you know a sexual Absolutely. predator. You have to. That's do very your, important. You have very to important. do your due diligence, but at the same time, these people are these organizations need volunteers all the time, like crazy. It's like not very many people want to volunteer to take care of other people's kids. Like, it yeah. takes a special type. And of if person. you are, I gotta look at you a little sideways and really look at your background. Like, especially if you don't have kids yourself, there's no like, if you have a kid that's going into it and you want to be the like kind of like the baseball team, like. Yeah, if your kids nah, on the sports team, are a little different. It makes a little more sense. It makes a little more sense though, especially yeah, yeah, at a yeah, young sure. age. Like if you're a high yeah. school coach and, and your kid's not on the team, that's normal. But like yeah. at young age, yeah, the coach's kid is usually on the team. Same I way with say, scouts. I want to say years ago, Adam Carolla had a like had a joke about this. He's like, I don't want the guy who's volunteering to be the Cub Scout leader as the Cub Scout leader. I want the guy that's sitting in the corner like, I don't want to do it. Like, you're doing it, motherfucker. <laughs> 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 kind of like president, you know? Like, I want the yeah. guy who doesn't really want to do it but is qualified rather than the person that just really wants to do it so badly, wants control over people and shit. Right. Yeah. There's something There's something alarming about that. That's a yeah. red flag for sure. Yeah, so um, the report said that Lane had used youth movements which appealed to young women and girls to allow him access to the victims. Oh, boy, so he's white knighting this thing. Yeah. He's acting like he's a part of the cause so that he can try and abuse them. Mm -hmm. What a guy. Uh, the report also mentioned an account of Lane being, quote, very controlling in another relationship of him bombarding women with explicit messages, loitering outside their homes, pestering women to sleep with him for money, harassing two women before he met in a, uh, uh, two women he met in a pub, and sexually assaulting another woman. So they knew this, this all was on record when Shauna's reporting five times about his behavior and they don't get his restraining order. They don't, they, they don't do anything other than kind of shame Shauna for reporting him. Pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. But some of these officers get, they get uh, yeah, punished for this. They get disciplinary right? action. Yeah. yeah. So in April 2019, it was announced that three police officers would face disciplinary action after the following or action the following May. Two officers, one retired faced gross misconduct proceedings whilst another was accused of misconduct. So well, they've, uh, they've changed some stuff. They've changed some laws as well because of this. Um, they know they got rid of the whole fining people for reporting, you know, uh, domestic, uh, assaults and violence. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. They got rid of that. Well, good, man. I'm glad something came out of it. You know, something I guess was learned because you see a lot of these cases and, you know, typically they're in the U.S., at least the ones that we do. And the, the, the law enforcement office, the local PD or whatever, they're usually the ones that get off on this. You know what I mean? Like they have, well, you know, this, this was pointing to this at the time and this was pointing to that and we just didn't have evidence for this and, and people get off. But uh, props to the judge for actually holding some officers accountable in this situation. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And there's no other way around it. I mean, when you look at his background and look at what he, you know, all the times that Shauna was reporting him, it was, it went beyond just like, oh, he's threatened me through a text or whatever. Like he was breaking into her home, slashing her tires, like yeah. literally damaging 
personal property of her and her boyfriend. Yeah. I mean, this guy was yeah, around yeah. everywhere. He was everywhere. Yeah. She should have yeah. gave him some Oh My Gaia, and then she could smell when he was near, and she oh would God. know. That's right? brilliant. Right? That's brilliant. Give him a little Oh My Gaia, a little True Crime Pine, and then, nah, you know what? He's not worthy of the True Crime Pine. Fuck him. You know? Give, let <laughs> oh, him, hell no. Let, give him yeah. some Old Spice with some fucking aluminum in it. Fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just so you know, if you're a rapist uh, and you try to order Oh My Gaia, it, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. We but, for, but for all you good creepers out there, we can hook you up with some amazing all-natural deodorant and scented oils. Oh My yeah. Gaia is an innovative all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Like we alluded to earlier, guys, we have our very own scent called True Crime Pine um, that Oh My Gaia created just for true crime guys. But there's also tons of other scents to choose from, from vanilla to cherry almonds, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber, pear, sweet pea, sailor, barbershop, and more are being added all the time. And because you're true crime guys listeners... You can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off your order at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. And the link to ohmygaia.com and your code word is in the description of this very episode, guys. You won't regret it. Do it now. Do it. Do it now. Do it now. Get in the all right, well, since, since we, uh, we love all natural products and small mm-hmm. businesses uh, that make great products, let's also talk about tonic CBD. Yes, we must. Um, as you know, all CBD products are not created equal from how the hemp is grown and processed to how it's formulated and delivered into your body. Every step of the process that goes into making the product affects your ultimate experience with it. That's why Tonic's products really stand out. Founder Brittany Carbone created her original formulas using CBD CBD adaptogens, herbs, and superfoods back in 2017 and has been working to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products possible. Tonic Craft cultivates their own hemp on their certified organic family farm in upstate New York that that hemp travels only 30 minutes to their state-of-the-art manufacturing and distribution facility where it's turned into a finished product and sent to you, ensuring only the highest quality vibes at every stage of the uh, process. Their farm-to-bottle CBD botanical blends are uniquely formulated to provide targeted support where you need it most, and each and every high-quality ingredient is thoughtfully selected for its ability to support and enhance the benefits of CBD, which are many benefits. Um, They have a bunch of different blends, and depending on your needs, um, you can find one that's just for you. Um, And uh, the best part is they work with us, and you can save 20% uh, at checkout by putting in the code word CREEPER. You know, you know our code, Creeper, Creeper. every time. 20% off um, any of the products at tonicvibes.com. That's tonicvibes.com, Creeper, to save 20%. All right, guys. And again, linked below the description. Absolutely. Appreciate that very much, guys. Yep. Um, also, we need to talk about Patreon. Patreon, man. We are... Hold on. Let's give shout-outs. Let's oh, give shout-outs yeah, to people, man. Shout outs we, we can't forget that. That's let's right. See, That's uh, right. Let's see what we got. It's been a couple of weeks. We'll get to that later. Can you go back and find out when our last uh, regular episode was so I can get a date on these? Yeah, let's see. It'd probably be two weeks. Today we're recording. This one's going to come out here. The 16th. 16th. March 16th. So we would have recorded on the 13th. So you probably need to go okay. back. So yeah. I want to say thank you to Maynard, 
DA uh, in the U.S. says, Love the show. In a world where crime runs wild, two men are willing to cast all problems aside to use their voice to speak out about the horrible and vicious crimes committed on the innocent. Against all odds, they come together to bring in an entertainment to creepers of all sanities with their trusty steed, their van, yes. by their side. No killer is crazy enough to stand in their way. He came a patron today. <laughs> Thank you. You are amazing. We need you to add you as a writer. Holy shit. I know, really. We need to just make that a, a damn promo right there. That was awesome. You should read it in um, a, like a movie voice, Lauren. In a in world. world. <laughs> in a world. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, then we got Cedar LG in the U.S. says, Good listening. Thank you for the hours and hours of entertainment. I finally started supporting y'all on Patreon because I can't get enough. My favorite is when a regular episode turns into a crossover episode with higher thoughts. <laughs> Michael's musical talent is incredible. Less sports, though, please. Eh, fuck off. Ah, you you got to take all of us. You got to take all that of us. That makes me want to talk sports. How, how you you know, how are you thinking about this crazy free agency period? <laughs> Speaking of sports, check out... Uh, you know, we, we will keep it to a minimum since we got the football show going back on. That's uh, right. Me, That's my right. buddy Tori, and now my buddy Josh are doing a, a fantasy football show that we started last year called Full House Fantasy Football. If you want to check that out, it's on iTunes and all that stuff. And uh, we're also posting the video version on our YouTube channel on True Crime Guys. So Right on. Check that out. If you like the sports talk, then there you go. There you go. Uh, then we got Rascal1414 in the U.S. says, Great information with fun banter included. I heard of you guys through one of my other podcasts I listened to. I believe it was either True Crime Enthusiast or Last Podcast on the Left. I don't think Last Podcast mentioned us, so it must be True Crime Enthusiast. So yeah. if it is, thank you, True thank Crime you Enthusiast. We'll have to check out your show as well. Uh, and it says, it finally started binging your episodes. The way you two banter together is amazing, and I absolutely love how you were able to get the information out. You do a great job of storytelling, uh, the crazy and horrific stories. I'm an over-the-road truck driver, and it's nice to see another podcast that I can listen to that helps me get through my long driving periods. I started two days ago and have made it through two, 10 episodes. So I can't imagine where you're at now because this was on the 17th. Right. Um, uh, anyways, can't wait to get through all the episodes and then start working on the Patreon episodes. Keep up the great work. Thank you. And we got one more from R33, R33, 78 in Australia, Mike. All uh, right. Just found that. the podcast and so glad I did as now I'm binging. Love the humor and stories. Thanks. Cheers from Australia. Cheers, mate. Right on. Cheers. Appreciate that, guys. We appreciate all the reviews as well as ratings on Spotify. If you guys are listening on Spotify, now you can rate your favorite podcast, and that helps our show very much. So if you could just click a little five-star there, we'd appreciate it very much. Absolutely. But if you really want to support the show, and you really want a shit ton of content, Patreon. Patreon. Patreon.com. Slash True Crime, guys. Like always, like all of our other links, guys, you can check it right below the description. And for just five bucks a month, you get access to what we think is the greatest Patreon tier ever invented. Wouldn't you say, Lauren? Yeah, I mean, I mean, pff, I everyone mean, agrees. I, everyone agrees. Obviously, we're everyone like that here. that that burger place in the small town that's yeah. like the best burger in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you stay in your small town, you don't know yeah. any better. So that's what we're doing. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Patreon.com/slash True Crime Guys. For just five bucks a month, you guys can get access to the Patreon exclusive, which we did last week. The True Crime Guys Patreon exclusive. You get access to that monthly exclusive. You get access to Just the Banter every single Friday, now with video. Uh, we just released Just the Banter 72, right? 71. 71. 71. So yeah. 71 and 70 both have video. Uh, we started with episode 70 with video. So we're trying everything we put out from now on out. We'll pretty much have video, all of the main conversational style shows and whatnot. Um, but then also you got Strange Shorts every Monday. And then you also get access to Sandu Stories, which we just did a Sandu, Sandu Stories called Homes Sweet Homes. 
Um, and it's a true crime what if loosely based on the, the lore and story and murder castle that H.H. Holmes resided in. So we hope you guys will enjoy those. And uh, like we said, yeah, patreon.com slash true crime guys. There's more content on there than you can wave a stick at. I tell you what, right? You can listen to it for days. <laughs> that dog will hunt. <laughs> that dog will hunt. That dog will hunt. Boy, that Patreon <laughs> dog will hunt. If you get bored, go hit us up on there, guys. Like we said, it's, it's cheaper yeah. than a gallon of gas. Cheaper than a gallon hey, of gas. It, re- it truly is. Right. All right. Is there anything else, Lauren? Anything else we need to? That about does it. We'll see you next week for Stalker Series Part 2. Hell yeah. Hey, keep an eye out behind you. You never know who's watching. That's right. <laughs> All right, see you next week. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a barrage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was True Crime Garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the Creeper Army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us, cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. You hush your mouth, boy. All right, you want to do a commercial break and we'll get to the next case? Yeah, man, let's do it. All right, do we have any commercials? I don't think so. (laughs) 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 Uh, well you could just cut and i i could use a break for a second for my eyes anyway oh oh shit oh fuck oh man